Okay, okay, we're going to get to the podcast in just one minute. But imagine I gave you the opportunity to invest in Microsoft, in Apple, in Tesla at its infancy. And now you made all this profit and it would be unbelievable. You'd be so thankful and so grateful. I believe that that day is today for Torch. Because for the next 36 hours, every donation you contribute at givetorch.net is doubled by our generous matchers, and you can come in at the ground floor. Yes, last year, over 1 million people enjoyed our podcasts. You as well, I hope. And I believe we can get to 10 million this year, but we need your help. It's only one day a year that we ask. We need your contribution. We need your partnership. We love your partnership and your friendship. Please contribute at givetorch.net, givetorch.net. Every dollar is matched. I apologize for taking your time. Thank you so much in advance for your support. Enjoy this episode. You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, to our live broadcast on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and on Zoom, on TorchZoom.com. Welcome back. It is an honor and a privilege to see everyone. So last week we discussed the idea of yira, which is fear. And what is fear? We we discussed in great detail last week, and we're going to talk more about it this week, is that the idea of fear is that we have proper perspective, is that a person needs to know what are we here for? What What are my obligations in this world? So We brought many verses from the Torah. We brought many verses from our prophets, from all of the sages, uh, from many of the sages. We talked about, uh, you know, how yirah, yirah, yirah means to fear, but it also means to have perspective, to have a proper understanding of what the purpose of life is. What is the meaning of everything that we're doing in our life? And to really focus, zero in on the importance of accountability. We're in a world where we're going to be held accountable for every single day that we are living. God says to us, and it's not something, again, we mentioned this clearly, right? And I want to repeat it again. The purpose of this whole trait of Yirah is not for us to start trembling out of fear and to think, "Uh uh-oh, what's going to be with me? I'm I'm, I'm not producing enough. I'm not doing a good enough job. As a, as a human being or as a member of the community, that's not the goal. The goal of Yirah is to give us, is to energize us and for us to understand the importance of every minute of life and to maximize it. We want to maximize every minute of life. That's the goal. So when we talk about, uh, about Yirah, we're talking about putting things in the right perspective so that we don't get carried away. You know, if we understand that ultimately we're here to do the will of Hashem, then the little little worries and little concerns and little, you know, quabbles we may have with our neighbor, our friend, our relatives, they really fall to the wayside because like in the big picture, it really doesn't make a difference. And we realized we put things in the right perspective and we realized that everything is really okay. So it's important for us to have this perspective. I want to share with you an amazing story about maximizing life and understanding the true purpose. So there's a great, great sage who uh, was named the Granat. 
because it was an abbreviation of his names, Hagon Reb Naftali, right? And he was he was such an amazing, amazing, brilliant mind. But as uh, were many of the sages uh, of all the generations, a little bit ADHD, a little bit rambunctious, a little bit excited. And his parents were very concerned. They said, well, what are we going to do with little Naftalke, right? What are we going to do with him? He's not, he's, he's not behaving. We buy, we, we pay a lot of money to have a Rebbe for him, for, to have a teacher for him. And he's not really learning much. Now, what happened was, is that Reb Naftali eventually became a very, very, very big sage, a very, very holy. His, his book is one of the greatest masterpieces of all of the modern day uh, commentaries on Talmud. And he said when he finished his first, when his first uh, book on commentary on the Talmud, he made a very, very big party. And he told his, his, all the participants there this story. He says, when I was a little boy, I once overheard my parents in the other room having a conversation. And they were saying, what are we going to do with Naftali? What are we going to do with our little boy? He's so, you know, unenthused by learning. He's so rambunctious. He's so, you know, excited about everything else under the planet, except for learning Torah. Maybe we should just send him to the shoemaker and he'll become a shoemaker. Maybe we just send him to the silversmith and he'll become a silversmith. Maybe we just send him. And they were thinking about different options. And he heard this and he got so worried. And he, he was, he was terrified. He had a dream. He had a dream that the dream was he was going to come to the world to to the holy to the holy world to come he's going to come in front of the heavenly courts and they were going to ask him naftali where's your book he says me book i don't have no book i'm a shoesmith i'm a, i'm a shoemaker i'm I, you know I, I i'm a silversmith i made i made uh, shoes for people for their weddings i made them happy with shoes i made them happy with uh, with making them a nice candelabra but a book me book i don't know what you're talking about i don't make no books i'm not a writer i'm not a scholar they said, no, 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 you were supposed to write a book. Where's that book? And then he picked up the book that he had just published. He says, here is that book. Here is that book. And that's, that's a moment of clarity. We all need to have that moment of clarity in our lives to understand why are we really here? What is the true purpose of my existence? Why am I living? And that's what we need. To, we need to always be asking that question to ourselves. Why am I here? Why does God believe in me that he gives me another day? Why does God believe? What does he want me to produce today that he believes in me to, 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 to dedicate all of these resources, to dedicate all of these right unbelievable opportunities in our lifetime? What does he want me to produce? God wants something from us. You know, Bissor Salanta, the founder of the Muslim movement, is a famous, famous story that he was once uh, walking late at night and he passed by the uh, the shoemaker. So he asks him, uh, he sees him working there late at night and he's banging on the shoes and he's, you know, putting on the taps and the heels and the and the soles of the shoes, repairing them or making new ones. So Bissor Salanta says, it's so late. It's so late. What are you doing working now? So he points at the candle. He says, as long as the candle is still burning, there's still work to do. So Yisrael Salanta would repeat this many, many times. He'd say, as long as the candle of life is still burning, there's still work to do. There's never a retirement for a Jew. No such thing. 
We never retire from our responsibility of being a growing person. There's no such thing. We're always here on a mission. There's no such thing as long as the candle is still burning, as long as we still have our soul within us and we have a pumping heartbeat. Then guess what? There's no break. There's no break. We always have a job that needs to be done. And we have to remember and and bring it into our consciousness every single day. We're here for a purpose. As long as we're able to keep that perspective, the healthier it will be for us and and the more accomplished we will be in our lives. It says, The verse tells us in Ethics of Our Fathers, we should have, right, in, in uh, chapter 1, ver- uh, Mishnah 5, in Ethics of Our Fathers, it says, Always have fear of heaven upon you. What does that mean? Understand that exact idea. As long as the candle's burning, we have responsibility. As long as the candle's burning, we have things we need to accomplish. And that's our goal. Our goal is not to say, hey, let me just find an easy way out. Let me just, uh, you know, there's no easy way out. We are here to accomplish. We are here to do great things. We are here to maximize every opportunity, every minute of life. Okay, here in Houston, Texas right now, it's about 65 degrees, 68 degrees. It's beautiful. It's crisp. It's, It's a beautiful Sunday morning. And you have literally a million things you could be doing this morning. You have so many television shows you can watch and Netflix videos you can watch and 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 places you can go and you can go do shopping and this and that. And instead, you're sitting here learning Torah with us, right? It, 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 this is this is amazing. So I I I feel that it's a tremendous privilege to to be learning Torah with so many holy people here this Sunday morning. So thank you for being part of this program. It's easy to get comfortable and forget that we're on a mission. It's very easy for a person, back to our class, it's very easy for a person to get comfortable with life and to forget that we're here on a mission. Very easy. And a person can be completely neglectful of the purpose of life. I had an individual who told me he was at that time, he was in the 60s, late 60s, and he told me, Rabbi, if I would have met you 40, 50 years ago, my life would be different. In what way would it be different? He would have focused on different things. But sometimes people get carried away with career or whatever it may be and don't realize about what's really important in life. Yes, so they have maybe a ton of money and they have a lot of a lot of fame, but they don't have an enriched personal life that they would love to have. You know, they don't have an enriched spiritual life that they would love to have. And that's something, it's a huge mistake that sometimes people don't realize that in life, we don't get many chances, right? But every day is a chance. Every day is a chance to rewrite the script. We can start going to, 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 to synagogue. We can start going every day. There's a minion, even in, right, in, in, I believe in every synagogue in our, in our community now, they're, they're back to normal, uh, normal operations almost, but you can get on the list. If a person wants to be there, if a person wants to go to the rabbi's sermon, if a person wants to be part of it, they can. We just have to want it. We just have to want it and push for it. It's not going to always be easy. I remember dozens and dozens of times that people told me that things could not be accomplished, that things that I set my my mind to would not be uh, feasible. It wouldn't be possible. And we keep on pushing, and it becomes possible. 
we are the only people, the only ones who can define our goal and stop our goal. Not anyone else. We can't let anybody else guide us or tell us what is and isn't possible. Anything that we put our mind to, we can accomplish. Right? Yira keeps us on focus. That's what we need. We need to stay focused. What am I here for? And if this is what I'm here for, I bulldoze through everything and just get it done. And not let circumstances, not let pandemic and not let whatever it is get in our way. We have to accomplish and go for it every single day and nonstop, never letting uh, excuses get in our way, never letting, you know, whatever it may be, get in our way. Just we, we have to we have to charge forward. So our sages tell us that Ahava love brings to Zerizus, brings to alacrity. You know, you know when someone gets very excited about something, they want to rush to go do it, right? They want to go rush to do it. They have alacrity. But Yira, when a person has perspective, then they have the trait of Zihirus, of cautiousness. And we spoke about this Monday nights when we talked, when we, when we were doing our Musr Mondays, our masterclass on the amazing book of the Ramchal that I have right here on my side. So the, the Ramchal gives us a, a, a guidance in how to attain greatness. How do we attain greatness? The Ramchal tells us that Ava, when we love something, we rush to do it. When we are, are, are understanding and have the right perspective about something, then we're cautious not to get carried away. And it's important to have these tools to guide us, to lead us in our way of perfection. There is an unlimited resource invested in us by the Almighty. For what purpose? Jay. Give me Jay's a great man. But Jay, I know this, he's going to be a little embarrassed that I'm going to say this, but he realized he's retired. So he says, I'm not just going to sit back and do nothing. I'm going to volunteer. So he goes to volunteer at JFS and he goes to volunteer at Seven Acres and he goes to volunteer because he's not going to be just one of those who says, you know what? Hashem gives me these resources and I'm not going to do anything with it. But rather he says, I have these resources. I want to utilize it because every day is a challenge and every day is an opportunity. And (laughs) clock is ticking. I got to get things moving. I got to accomplish. Right, Jay? Right. But, but, But we know it's true. It's true because we can't let life pass us by. We have to grab life by the horns and take it and take it in the direction we want to take it, the direction that the Almighty wants us to take it in. The Almighty invests so many resources in us because he believes we can accomplish. He believes we can do it. Not to wake up in the morning and say, oh, it just today's just not a good day. Right Now, we do have days that are not great. We all have that. Okay, so you press reset and start over again. As, as a general principle, we have to be on a mission, which is why my wife and I, I told you this recent, uh, previously, I told you that my wife and I, over COVID, we finally sat down and put together our family mission statement. We put together our family mission statement. What w- When we get lost in life, we read that. You know, we can all get lost in details. We get lost in, 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 in things that come up. If we focus on what our mission is, nothing gets in the way. This is our mission. 
And nothing is going to stop us. We're here. This is why the Almighty put us here. So the question will always come up. How do I know that my mission that I set forth is what God wants me to do? So a person has to introspect. As a couple, we need to introspect for our family. But also as individuals, we need to introspect and figure out what does God want from me? He has a special mission for me. How am I going to accomplish that? Yira is about quality of our actions, quality of our life filled with focus and meaning. What we want to do every single day is fill our lives with quality. When do we have quality of life? When we have focus, when we know that we're on a mission and we're there to accomplish. You know, one of the most frustrating things for people in any workforce, in any employment job, is when they don't know what their job is. I keep running around in circles and my and my HR department is not giving me a clear clear definition of what my job, what my responsibilities are. And my boss doesn't tell me. And it's so frustrating because, one second, you've got to get a clear definition of what your job is. And if we know what our job is in this world, by looking at our virtues, we look at our qualities, we look at the things that we're, that we were gifted with, that's the best hint to what the Almighty wants us to accomplish. But even if you get the wrong thing, put it on a piece of paper. Let's say you put on a piece of paper, my job is to do 10 acts of kindness a day. Let's say you're wrong. You didn't do a terrible thing, right? Okay, so now you can adjust. It's better to have a goal and perhaps it not be perfect than have no goal at all because then you're going all over the place and you don't have any direction. A person needs to have a goal. And even if the goal is the, is the wrong way, okay, so you turn around and kick it back the other way to the right goal. But at least you're in the game. A person who doesn't have a goal is in the bleachers, right? He's not even part of the game. He's just a, 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 an observer of life. We don't want to be observers. We want to be part- active participants of life. Okay, so we, weeding the garden can be a very spiritual experience as well. You know why? Because whose earth is it? It's God's. If we recognize that Hashem is the one who gives us vegetation and we sit there, I want to tell you, you know what? It's an amazing thing that you say that. It's an amazing thing. I'll tell you a story that I just read in the beautiful Torch Spark magazine that we put out every week. We put out a little four page Shabbos weekly. If you would like, we have it attached to our weekly email. I want to share with you an amazing story, my dear friends. There was a great sage. His name was Rav Gustman. Rav Gustman had a yeshiva called Netzach Yisrael. Netzach Yisrael yeshiva was in Rechavia, in Jerusalem. And uh, prior to moving to Israel, Rabbi Gustman was a survivor of the Holocaust. Prior to the Holocaust, he was part of the Bethdin of the Bezdin of Reb Chaim Ozer. Reb Chaim Ozer Grzynski was the leading Torah sage pre-Holocaust in Europe. And he had the Bezdin. The Bezdin was the Jewish court, and all of the big cases would come. And Rav Gustman was a member of that Bezdin. He was one of the three presiding rabbis. And Rav Gustman would go for a walk regularly with his rabbi, with the head of the Bezdin. Now, fast forward 60 years, um, and Rav Gustman had in his yeshiva in Rechavia, they had a beautiful garden. And you know who would tend to the garden regularly? They didn't have a gardener, none of the students, but Rav Gustman himself would tend to the garden. And all of his students were saying, like, you know, you're the, you're the chief rabbi of our institution. You know, you're a, a world-class Torah scholar. Let us tend to the garden. What are you tending to the garden for? 
and they never he never let any of his students do it. So one student finally mustered up the courage and asked him why. He said, why? Why are you such a scholar, such a saint? Why are you the one tending to the garden and you don't let any of us, you don't let a gardener, you don't let anybody else take care of the garden. It's just you. You're, only, you're the only one who is able to tend to the garden. And he's talking about an unbelievable Torah scholar. It's not like his time was, wasn't, wasn't every moment calculated, right? See, he said the following story. He said, back in Europe, when he was in the Besden with Reb Chaim Ozer, many times they'd go, to, go for a walk. And the walk would end up in some garden, like one of these botanical gardens. And every time he was in the garden with Reb Chaim Ozer, while they were talking about their halachic questions and they would go back and forth, the rabbi, Reb Chaim Ozer, would tell them, you see this, you see, he would tell Reb Guzman, says, you see this, uh, this plant? This plant is very good for the body. If you eat it, it's very, it's very good for the body. He says, you see this plant? This plant is very dangerous for the body. And he would go and, and, you know, and he was never understanding, like, why is the great leader of the Jewish people, right? The Reb Chaim Ozer, why is he telling him about botany, about flowers and plants? And like, what, what's the deal? It turned out that during, but Rav Gusman would take mental note, and he was a brilliant man. He remembered everything that Rav Chaim Ozer told him. As soon as the Holocaust broke out, Rav Gusman ended up living for many years in a forest. And you can imagine in a forest, there's not much food. But what are there? Lots of plants. And he knew from what Rav Chaim Ozer told him about all the different plants, what he could eat, what he couldn't eat, and that's how he survived. And he said now in his yeshiva in Jerusalem that he has a garden. Whenever he wants to bring himself back to that experience of what he would uh, be learning with Reb Chaim Ozer and to be grateful for the knowledge that he uh, imparted to him, he would tend to the garden of the yeshiva. And that would bring him back to, to, to recognize the brilliance of the Almighty and all the gifts that Hashem gave him, right? So I, I don't know if this answers your question, Ronnie, but tending to your garden can be a very spiritual experience understanding with every single, just how it's an amazing thing. If you plant, we have in my, in our backyard, hopefully it'll still grow again after this freeze, but it's all brown and it's, it's really devastating. But we had a beautiful lime tree and we would, we would use those limes. We did after we, we, we bought our house. There's uh, the laws of Orla. You're not allowed to take from a tree during the first three years of its, uh, right? We weren't sure when it was grown. So we started counting from when we moved into the house and we counted three years, and then we started uh, uh, enjoying from the fruits, the, the lime fruits uh, from the tree. And my, one of my sons loves limes. Okay, He loves limes. He'll eat them straight like, you know, he loves that bitter lime, uh, uh, you know, citrusy, sour flavor. So we would collect those limes. And you ever wonder what happened if you put an apple seed, would a lime grow? No, an apple would grow. What happens if you put a uh, a watermelon seed? Would a cantaloupe grow? No, a watermelon would grow. It's amazing. It's amazing how the earth knows how to grow exactly what you planted. Is that an amazing thing? It really is. You think about it. You put in a seed and a tree grows. Wow. That's unbelievable, right? It could be a very spiritual experience. So don't think that, oh, I'm going to tend to my garden. So it's not, it's a, it's, it's a it, working the land, the land of Israel, right? People in the land of Israel have the amazing mitzvahs of 
all of the mitzvahs that, that that are involved in the land, but particularly the shemitah, giving up on the seventh year of 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 working the land, right? To live in a world of godliness, to live in a world where we recognize that everything is from Hashem. So there's there's plenty to have, you know, if that's your outlet and that's where you feel, you know, you're able to to, to spend your time and and it's it's good for you. And do it, of course. What's the question? There's no question whatsoever. So, Yira is about quality of our actions, quality of our life, filled with focus and meaning. There is an accounting for our life. We know the six questions that are asked when we arrive in the heavenly courts. After we pass along to the next world, there are six questions that are asked of us. Anybody know what they are? Okay, so there's six questions. Number one, the first question that we're asked, were you faithful in business? Okay, that's a serious question right there. Were you faithful in business? Number two, did you set time for Torah study? Number three, did you engage in procreation? Did you bring children to this world? Number four, did you hope for the salvation for the coming of Mashiach? Number five, did you delve into wisdom? One of those, one of the, the questions are also it means we're talking about, it's, these are very general questions, but really think about it. One of the questions that are asked are whether or not you enjoyed from this world. God's going to tell us, I created a Grand Canyon and you never went to see it. It wasn't important enough for you. I created the Colorado Rockies, the Grand Teton National Park, Yellowstone, the geysers at Yellowstone, and you didn't enjoy from this world. I, who did I create it for? I created it for you. And you didn't maximize it. We're going to be held accountable for that. It's a very important thing to remember. We are held accountable for not enjoying the world enough. Not for what many people think. Oh, we're here. We're here to just get our job done and and move on. No, 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 no. God wants us to enjoy life. God wants us to enjoy every moment of life. God is going to say, I created the Swiss Alps for what? For the people in Switzerland only? If you have the ability to get a stopover and spend a day in Switzerland and you didn't, God's going to hold us accountable. I gave you the beauty of this world and you didn't enjoy it. God wants us to enjoy. And the last question is, did you infer one thing from another? What does that mean? It, you know, many times people say, just, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Well, if you learn the, the application in one place, you should be able to apply it to another. And if you don't use your intelligence to apply things from one to another, then you're going to be missing out on wisdom. You're going to be missing out on on understanding the ways of Hashem. All qualities, all the qualities that we have, whether they're a a, a God given one, whether they are a uh, one that was developed more throughout our lifetime, through our own hard work. Each and every one of them are nothing without your Shemayim, without fear of heaven, without understanding that we have an accountability and a responsibility to utilize them appropriately. If we do not utilize them appropriately, then we're missing out on life. And we're missing out. We're going to be held accountable for that. Right? We say, Shiviti Hashem tamid. We should always have the presence of Hashem opposite us. Always opposite us. So there was a story that was told about Reb Chaim Volozhin. Reb Chaim Volozhin had a yeshiva, the Volozhin yeshiva, 
he was an amazing, amazing sage. I was actually in the yeshiva of Elijah when I traveled to Belarus in, in the year 2000, I believe it was. In the year 2000, I was there as a as a uh, interim rabbi uh, in the main synagogue in Minsk in Belarus. Uh, the rabbi's wife was due any day, and she decided right before Rosh Hashanah she needs to go back to Israel. She wants to give birth in a normal hospital, not a communist one. With, you know, so so they they called me. I was in Lakewood, New Jersey, in yeshiva, and they called me. They said, "Please, can you come to uh, Belarus for Rosh Hashanah?" So I went there. I was there for Rosh Hashanah, and d- during the days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I had the opportunity to travel a little bit around Belarus, and I went to to see Raden, where the Chavetz Chaim lived. I saw the Chavetz Chaim's house and the Chavetz Chaim's grave site. It's unbelievable. I went to Volozhin. I went to see Reb Chaim Volozhin's yeshiva and his, and his grave site. And I went to the Mir Yeshiva, the famous Mir Yeshiva that started in Poland in the city called Mir, uh, which today it serves as a post office. But that's what used to be the yeshiva. And I went to see the, the burial site, uh, the grave site of, of Rabbi Rucham, the, the great... Uh, the great teacher and legend of my of my grandfather, my grandfather's teacher. So the Volozhin, there was a student that passed away, and uh, a few nights after he passed away, he came to a dream to Reb Chaim to the holy uh, leader of the yeshiva, and he said, "I owe my landlord a few pennies. I was going to pay her when I came back from my travels." But I passed away and I didn't make it back. Can you please pay her back those two pennies because they're not letting me enter into the world to come and to receive my reward till I pay back that woman, my landlord. He says, if you can please go to that landlord so that I can be allowed entry into the into heaven, into, into the world to come. So Chaim Velazhner, of course, went and gave those few pennies to the landlord and and then the student came back to him the next day in his dream in a dream, and he told Reb Chaim Velazher, "Thank you so much. I was allowed now to enter into the world to come." There's accountability. We have to remember that there's accountability. And when we talk about the trait of Yira, what we're talking about is having the proper perspective of understanding that there is accountability. That there is accountability for every one of our actions and inactions. But there's no reason to stress. And I want to remind you, again, when we talk about the trait of Euro, we're not talking about being frightened, sitting under a table, biting our nails. That's not what we're talking about. We need to be reassured because we say every morning in our prayers, Hashem li lo ira. When we understand that Hashem is with us and that we connect with the Almighty on a regular basis, lo ira, I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to worry because I have the clear perspective. I know what I'm here for. And therefore, there's nothing to worry about. So we're going to stop here. My dear friends, I want to thank you all very, very much for joining us. If you have any questions on towards Zoom, you're welcome to ask. To our friends on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate you being part of our uh, Sunday morning program. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcasts.com.